You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. And we're throwing you a curveball today on this episode. We're going to be talking with my buddy Nick Otto of the Hunt of War Podcast. Now, Nick's specialty is wild game cooking. He loves to cook food. He loves to cook wild game. Uh, if you go to the Sportsman's Empire website, you can find a whole bunch of recipes that Nick has put together for uh, wild game, you know, for deer, for, I believe, duck and turkey and just a whole bunch of things that he's done and he's documented and he's put these recipes together. And so on today's Hunting Gear podcast, we talk about everything from the time you kill the deer to the time that you cook the deer or the the animal that we're talking about. So we talk about things like uh, a good processing knife, a good paring knife, a good, uh, what else, a good meat thermometer, pans, um, pellet grills, things like that. And so I know this isn't what we're typically used to on this podcast, but I feel like it is equally important to talk about the gear that we use to actually eat and cook the wild game that we harvest. So uh, that's what today's episode is about. Short intro here. I'm going to talk about the uh, partners of this podcast real quick. First and foremost, we're talking about Tethered. If you're looking to get into the saddle hunting game, you need to go check out Tether uh, Saddles at uh, their website. They have saddles, saddle hunting accessories. They have climbing sticks, the platforms, everything you need for saddle hunting, including the education that you're going to need to you know, educate yourself on becoming a good, better best possible saddle hunter they have that on their youtube channel and, and on their website as well uh, next we have hunt stand i know if you're looking for a last minute christmas idea i know it's like two days away at this point go to huntstand.com read up on all the functionality on how this hunting app can help you uh, i mean that's that's all i'll say at this point go do some research it will be a great gift for somebody period. It just allows them to think about deer hunting more, which in turn will make them more successful. Uh, so huntstand.com, go check it out. Great hunting app, great digital maps, awesome satellite imagery uh, for you to do some e-scouting on and, and really document your hunting adventures. Last but not least, Tacticam 6.0, the brand new Tacticam. Uh, again, this would also, you know, if, if maybe if your uh, Christmas isn't coming until, like my family doesn't celebrate Christmas until New Year's so just because we're so busy it's a big family so we always push it back if you're looking for a, a really fun Christmas gift go check out the Tacticam 6.0 and uh, I really think that that would be a great gift for those people who like to share and document their hunts really really uh, you can attach it to a bow you can attach it to a gun it's an action cam it's 4k uh, the new one has an lcd screen and image stabilization so go check out tacticam's uh, website for more information there and that's it if you haven't subscribed to the sportsman's empire or the hunting gear podcast please do so go tell your friends uh, we're going to be trying real hard in 2023 to share the message of the sportsman's empire and all the awesome content that's on it and I know I might be a little biased, but I would put our content from the Sportsman's Empire, from any podcast really, up against the cream of the crop. I, I, I truly feel that we are the best of the best. And so you're not only going to get an education listening to these podcasts, but you're going to be entertained as well. So go check out all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire uh, podcast network. 
And I think that's it. So let's get into today's, I guess we'll call it hunting and cooking gear and equipment episode with my man, Nick Otto from The Hunt of War. Three, two, one. All right, today on the Hunting Gear Podcast, we're going to take a little break from actually hunting gear equipment. We're not going to talk about broadheads. We're not going to talk about arrows. We're not going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about the tools, the equipment that you need to prepare wild game. And this is kind of a good, better, best type conversation. We're going to talk about certain um, implements, I guess you could call it, that uh, that my buddy here, Nick Otto, from the Hunt of War podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, uh, he talks about that stuff all the time. I felt like it would be a good idea to get him in, share his expertise, and uh, what do you think about that, Nick? Oh, it sounds great. I feel like we're finally in my wheelhouse. There you know, you there's go. a lot of times I tune in and I'm just taking notes feverishly. Oh, this piece of equipment sounds really good. And oh, you know what? I've been hearing a lot of good things about this black rack. I should probably pick one of those up. <laughs> right. But it's it's fun to switch the tables now and then and, and feel like the expert a little bit. Right, because, you know, we can talk about hunting gear and equipment until we're blue in the face, but then there's a whole other side of it, the processing, the, you know, the processing of the deer, the, um, you know, the cooking of the wild game, uh, you know, even turkey or fish or whatever. I'm sure there's some crossover items that we might touch on today. But um, before we get into that, I want to talk about, I want to share some experience uh, with you. I used to be, Absolutely. I used to be that guy who, you know, I cooked the meat until it was well done, like venison backstrap, you know, everything well done. Uh, and it, it was chewy. And so my first couple of experiences with me actually cooking my own wild game were not very good. How long did it take you to, go from first timer not very good at cooking wild game to the guy who you are today i would say like as far as being you you are your own worst critic mm-hmm. and so my my first deer that i put down it was and we wanted to butcher our, ourselves i look back at that time and it was one of the i mean it was such a hack job we had what we called um giblets and essentially they're like what could have been a really good steak piece but now it is in a like two inch by two inch little cube that we eventually just you have to put tin foil on the yep. grill in order to get them to to sear up um it it took a couple deer it took uh quite a few seasons just to be able to get the nuances um i did my trials and tribulations with with domestic meat that's where i kind of started and then i joined into this hunting fraternity and loved everything about it and then it was like but man there's got to be more to this venison like everybody everyone i've tried or every bit i've tried has been gray and has been just chewy and then i started doing it myself and it was like man this has got to this there's got to be something different there's got to be a better way that i can handle this and so yeah you're gonna take your licks you're gonna ruin uh you're gonna ruin like three or four backstraps and you're gonna have to be okay with it i'm sure everybody's dog will appreciate uh every new little change (laughs) that you do because (laughs) that's where it's gonna go um but yeah if you stick with it just like anything else shoot guys switching from guns to bows there's a learning curve guys switching from domestic into wanting to to handle their own wild game and do something uh creative with it it, you're gonna have to have a little bit of a learning curve with it yeah absolutely all right so i think this is a good place to start let's and let's talk about after the shot processing let's talk about some equipment that you might recommend to someone that will maybe make processing easier or a shortcut product or you know a really a product that would help or benefit someone in during the processing portion of the the kill gotcha um as far as you want to have a good sturdy knife um you're going to want a full tang um hunting knife uh a nice big blade i don't say big blade doesn't have to be like three 
three between three and five inches is a good size uh, hunting knife, and I most most guys have that on their hip pocket. Um, but I do say fixed blade, and I do say uh, full tang if you're going to have a one and done job knife. I know there's a lot of uh, really sharp knives that are out there that are replaceable. And they have their purpose, especially when it comes to delicate work. A yeah. uh, problem with those is they are very thin. And with, I mean, even not even on a joint, you could just be working um, a tough bit of hide. You can snap the tip or you can, because it's a really, uh, um, it doesn't have a lot. Of, it's really hard steel. It's not very soft, not a lot of carbon in there. And so rather than bend, it's going to just snap off. You could go through a couple of those, but I just, it's, it's one of those things like, man, if you could get yourself a nice, sturdy, full tang knife, uh, it's got some beef to it. I'm, I've never been able to make the gut hook work, but it seems like every knife that I like the shape and I like the style of it with a little bull nose on the front of it uh, works out really well. There's always the add-on uh, gut hook. I've never been able to make them work. So I know part-time on the on the show here, you always have like, what's that gimmick you see? And it's like, for me, the gut hook is always the gimmick. Like you yeah. have great aspirations of being able to hook on, just kind of zip up the chest. It never works that way. So if you can find yourself a nice sturdy knife, uh, three to five inches, no gut hook, you, you're set. Yeah. Um, one that's that you would put in the gimmick category, but then at the same time, I've also seen it work out, especially for someone who's new. Um, and who's ready to laugh more uh, in their life is to get the butt out too. Um, I've never seen the first version. I've only seen the the second. But this was introduced by a buddy to me. Um, we were we recovered his deer, and he's like, "Help me take care of this." I'm like, "All right, well, I'm going to show you how to take the anus out." And he was like, "No, no, no, I have this tool." And he pulls it out of the package, and we proceed to read the instructions. And this thing is essentially a plug that goes up into the rear. Mm -hmm. Per the instructions, you twist until you hear and feel a pop. <laughs> and then you then pull this back out. I it took us it took us a long time to do it just because we were laughing so hard at the whole idea of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it does it does work. I'm preferable to just getting in there with the knife, uh, yeah. doing it by hand. But if you needed something, if you were still a little bit squeamish, here's an implement that you can just, yeah, shove up the deer's rear, give it a twist till it pops, and then that's going to loosen up yeah. uh, that anus up. Well, I'll tell you this, man. That has always been a hard uh, portion of the gutting process that I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a break the pelvis guy. So Really? Uh, yeah, I... I will gut the deer. I will cut the pelvis, you know, so it's just straight wide open. And then I'll cut around and clean everything out after I saw through the pelvis. And so I'm that guy. Uh, I, I, it's just, and then, you know, clean the anus out and all that stuff and, and pull all that, you know, pull it all out. But I've always wanted to know how that worked because... I've never, I've seen the product, but I've never used it. So it sounds like once you get past the uh, comedy portion of, of the product, it actually does work. It does. It does. And essentially like it's got three barbs, three or four barbs. I can't remember exactly, but when you shove that in, what that's going to do is it's going to hook on to essentially the colon, uh, the portion that you're trying to get out. And by twisting it, yeah. um, it's actually going to wrap up. And by wrapping it up, you're essentially pulling it away from the pelvis cavity. There's all that connective t tissue in there. Yep. And once that gets tight enough, you've been sep you've uh, basically yeah twisted it all up. It's going to separate and it's just loosened that up without having to get a knife blade in there. Right. Um, doing it a number of times and just kind of like getting rid of the, being able to go to that zone, like I'm doing a job here and get past the comedy portion, get past the, the ooky, gross portion. You can just get in there with your knife and be able to do the same exact thing. Not spin it, but you'll at least be able to separate around in there. That's where the five inch really does help. But you can come in from both sides and, and loosen that up, tie it off, and then uh, have a really clean uh, setup. As soon as you break that, you know, as soon as you get a little bit too far yourself, yeah, I know it's cold. Yeah, I know your fingers are kind of freezing up a little bit if it's a, if it's uh, snowing out. But at the same time, take your time with it. There's no rush at that point. You've already opened up the cavity and you're working on getting things out. 
take your time to make sure you're not opening that up. Now, yeah. if it is a, a gut puncture, you've gone ahead and opened up the paunch. At that point, it's kind of like, yeah, like just get it out of there. And if you can go your yeah. method too of being able to, to cut that, there's a bunch of great little hand saws that can do that. Yep. Um, smaller, the better. And it's getting that round uh, nose on it too. That also helps. So you're not stabbing in, in through on the backside. So, Fact. yeah. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market uh let's see here and and just to throw in my two cents here when it comes to field dressing you know field dressing a deer you mentioned uh replaceable blade knives versus fixed blade knives i do all of my when i do do my own processing my my gutting and i do use a gut hook and i've had fairly good success with it over the years i use a gut hook i also um uh, use a replaceable blade knife for the actual gutting and removing of you know the lungs and the heart and and, and the guts and things like that. And then on my um, uh, my hang on, I got an outdoor edge kit that I carry with me. It has a folding pocket saw with that rounded uh, well, I don't know with that rounded tip on it, like you mentioned. That's what I use to yeah. cut the pelvis, and or, and then I will go in with my replaceable blade, cut around the butt, and then pull all that, and then pull it out. But when I, then when it's time to, uh, you know, hang the deer, start cutting the meat off of it, I'm using a fixed blade knife that uh, Outdoor Edge has as well. They have like a processing kit. You know, you can. It comes with like a rib spreader and you know variety of different knives that I I use and and so. Uh, when it comes to you know uh, replaceable blade in the field, fixed blade in the garage, that's that's what I'm doing. That's a nice approach. Yeah. Um, they do have their place with the with the replaceables. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just some stuff when you're starting to get into some anything you're trying to like weasel around. Yep. If it's not scalpel work, yeah, yeah. I I avoid those. But yeah, I've got a nice. Um, I think it was one of the the Havilons, but um, they've. And it's one of the earlier models. It is a great little, like, almost exacto knife. If yep. I get in and I'm like, I need to be very easy around this, or even like with ducks, yep. uh, with fine work with that, getting a, re a good replaceable, almost like a paring knife out of yep. the kitchen. That's essentially what that what that does. Because man, yeah, as soon as that, I'm feeling a little drag here in the field. Uh, being able to have like a field uh, sharpener is nice. I'm one that uh, I like to sharpen my own stuff. But at the same time, like being able to just kick off that blade uh, yeah. and then be able to slap on another one. That's another thing with those replaceable blades, too. Even though it's not as sharp as what a, a fresh one would be, I would take that packaging and put that old blade in there and stick that in a safe place in your pack. You don't want to leave that on the ground. Not necessarily that you're going to step on it, but somebody else is going to step on that. Right. Or right. you'll find a way to like cut themselves with it, or even for your own safety, slide that back in that packaging. Because man, even though that's not as sharp as what it could be, those things will, they'll nip you. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And we've, we've already kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the processing, but is there any other, uh, products or pieces of equipment that you would recommend for the breaking down period? You know, you're breaking it down, you're getting ready to throw it in the freezer. Um, a good game hoist and gambrel is, yeah. is really good. And what's fun is that there's a bunch of, there's, you can go as heavy as you want, as heavy duty as you want. If you're pulling out these big lugging deer. Um, but a lot of times, even some of the, just the cheap models that you can get, um, you know, they, the, the winch does a great – or the, the hoist does a good enough job just to get uh, an average-sized deer up there. You do have to get a buddy to lift up on it if it if you end up getting a monster. Yep. But being able to get that deer hung up and at your chest level, uh, breaking animals 
breaks you as well. That's a, that's something that I picked up from a butcher, and the fact that anything you can do to make it easier on yourself, bring things to your bring so you can stand up straight. Yeah. Um, finding a way to take the pressure off your hands and use an implement to pull hide, or using gravity to be able to pull things off, that is invaluable. And you right. you learn that once you've done a few. And especially multiples, you, you have a, a, the glorious night where you end up getting two bucks or you get um, one buck and one doe and you got two deer hanging. After you break down the one and you feel yourself kind of aching up and starting to to so, you know get sore, you look over and you're like, shoot, I'm only halfway. I got another <laughs> mountain to climb over here. Yep, absolutely. That That is super good. Um, I'm a hind up kind of guy, so I like to take the, you know, use the gambrel through the back legs. I find that works out great for me. Um, I know there's a whole sect uh, of guys that like to hang from the neck, and so they have their own process going that way. That would be just a simple um, block and tackle that you can put that up and be able to tie that off. But, man, with as cheap as gambrels and hoists have become, that's invaluable, especially if you're trying to make it easy on yourself. Yeah. I have a I have a vision of a man cave slash deer hanging facility in my like I, I'm that guy who wants I want a little I want a bathroom in there so you can clean up I want a a walk-in cooler I want um, an automatic electrical hoist so I don't have to do any work all I got to do is hook the gambrel <laughs> the gambrel up to the legs and just hit a button some industrial you know something that could lift up a, a car type of deal and yes. uh you know reinforce the whole garage with it and i think that that would be that's ideal you know i want i'd, I'd love to have the drain in the floor so you could just hose everything down and uh and and so that's that's just a daydream though because that's uh that's uh a little bit more expensive than having to use your muscles to to uh, pull them up absolutely to your uh to your dream thing there don't forget below the hoist because i was thinking about this the other day um we had to clean up several deer that were coming into my little shop and we've used before what's referred to as the golf ball method um essentially where you take a rope well actually you take like a golf ball or a rock or some sort of hard implement and you actually put that behind the hide um where you've already started you got to get your initial cuts to where basically you just have to pull the hide off it's all muscle work now and you do like a uh, a double hitch or you do some sort of knot around that object that's behind the hide. And what that essentially does is keep it from slipping out. If you put an eyelet in the floor, so like, a, uh, like where yeah. you can screw it in, screw it out. Because in my shop, if you pull it sideways, uh, you're going against the rafters. And it, I'm actually pulling it a 45, and that's not good for those rafters. I would hate for those to snap. They're, it's only two-by-four construction. But if I have an eyelet in the floor, now I run that cable through the eyelet and straight up, so now I'm getting a direct straight-down pull. Yep. And have that threaded that, shoot, after the job is done, you just screw it out and you got a flat floor again. Add that into your uh, okay. your right. wonder cave there. That's yeah. where it's going to be. That's yeah. a true sign of a uh, true deer dresser right heck there. Heck yeah, heck yeah. And by the way, my uh, my my ideal uh, thing or my ideal building will be like all metal and I-beams. And so like it will be <laughs> yes. it will be like tornado proof. <laughs> I could hang buffalo oh if goodness. I wanted to. Yes, that would be awesome. Big old bison hanging yep, there. Absolutely. All right, so we've processed. Um now it's time to take it out of the freezer and actually start doing some cooking with it. Let's get into uh, some gear that you would recommend for the kitchen. Gotcha. Um, first off, most people, if they're listening to this, have a kitchen. And so what I've kind of done with this is that culinary experience is just like woodsmanship in the fact that it's going to take you a while to really get honed in guys that really already love being in the kitchen. They love being at the barbecue. Uh, your learning curve is going to be a little bit easier on this. And you might even be uh, past what I'm going to refer to as like the good, better, best scale that just getting something uh, that you can use is going to be good. So the knives that you've already got in your kitchen are good. But at the same time, we're always trying to be better. We're always trying to step up our game, some of us in other areas, and I've chosen the kitchen that I wanted to be able to do that in. So even though some of my equipment that I'm using is still rudimentary, 
as far as like it's still cheap it's still um not you know i i haven't made a made a living in the kitchen i mean i do my i live through the kitchen i guess so some of these equipment that is super cheap which is excellent because it's accessible to everybody but just like everything you can be able to step up as you want things to be easier and then it's going to actually help you out even more in the long run um so like when it comes to like again my knives um i've got some pretty cheap knives some that i've picked up they look cool um one is like a, a walnut handle and it's a, a little bit longer of a slicing knife or a bullnose butcher's knife i got it for five bucks at a thrift shop and what makes that knife super cool is that it i mean a has the shape in the blade for when i'm trying to take a roast and make into steaks so i've got like my my bottom round or i got my top round if I use a smaller knife and I make a bunch of cuts, it, what ends up happening is I, I get a jagged cut and my presentation doesn't look exactly the way that I want it to. It, to get a sear job on a jagged piece of meat is a little bit more difficult. But by taking a longer knife and having one swipe through an entire roast, I get a clean cut. And that's going to mean a flatter surface area so that when I hit that hot cast iron or I hit that grill, it's going to get as much surface area as possible to be in direct heat with gotcha. that. So that's just merely a presentation piece. Yeah. So having a long slicing knife or a butcher's knife, essentially it's uh, uh, the one I've got is eight inches. Um, it's probably by two inches, two and a half inches wide. But what it does is it comes up and has a real bull nose on the front of it. It's rounded, not necessarily real pointy like a like a paring knife would be or like one of those replaceable blades. It's real rounded at the end. Yeah. Um, but essentially that gives you a nice uh, ability to be able to have a, a clean cut. Um, so having it like a butcher's knife like that with a bull, new, bull nose is, is great to have in the kitchen. The second one is a really good, um, I guess for bat, better term, a chef's knife. Um, there's so many different kinds of knives that are out there that you can go after some of them being uh these like japanese hand forged uh <laughs> super like super high grade and you're like thousand yeah, dollars for a knife for whatever they are exactly yeah. like i i know my backstrap is invaluable but i don't know if it's a thousand dollars invaluable <laughs> You don't need that. That would be, again, you know, that's these sushi knives. That's that excellent. That's that, that best piece that we're not going to need that. I mean, it's not within our ballpark. But again, something like the $100 range, um, I'm not supported by these folks at all, but I've got this uh, Misen uh, knife, and it's a Santuco, which essentially it's you know, a flat blade, and it's got a rounded end nose to it. Um, it's a it's a great chopping knife. So as I'm getting ready for whatever I'm going to be putting in the pot or as I'm cutting vegetables to go along with it or even just cutting the meat, um, having a good knife that you that you love that's and you've got some beef to the handle so you can hold on to it. Um, being able to put on an edge, people talk about wanting like these really hard, like again, the, the sushi knife, super hard. They hold an edge forever, but then try to put an edge on that and holy crap you have to do a ton of work for those knives even the professionals send those in to get done on a machine that's just not worth it you're going to want something a little bit softer uh, when i do my like we were talking about the the kits that you guys use through um outdoor edge or even i've picked up um Victor, victorinox is uh, an industry leader in uh the meat world they do this pretty much the same steel it's like this uh, rubberized handle and they've got uh a high carbon steel that if you nip that a bunch, like it's going to dull the blade and you're going to find that even as you're processing that deer, that blade is going to round or the, yeah, that edge is going to round over. That's fine because you can bring that edge back very easily. It doesn't yeah. take a rock and science. It doesn't take uh, somebody with years of experience to bring that edge back. It's very forgiving. Um, so being able to do that. And I would guess that would, so yeah, you got, uh, some softer knives you got a chopping knife a butcher's knife and i say would last would be a a steel or a hone um guys have gone interchangeable with those and basically it's a steel rod some of them are uh, uh flat some of them are uh they're ribbed on the side and essentially what that is, is that's just going to bring your edge back you don't need to go back to the sharpening stone if when your knife starts to feel dull 
most instances, you've just rounded that edge over. And so by going to the hone and you see some of these professional uh, chefs like they're making, you know, making it all impressive. Slow it down again. We don't want to be, we don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, Like the phrase goes, if, if you don't want to get bloody cut toward a buddy. Um, So keeping that knife edge um, of good and sharp is also going to keep it away from having you to be able to do a lot of work and cut towards yourself. Um, So using that hone to bring back that edge and it just takes like three swipes on both sides on either side of that blade. It's going to stand that back up and you're going to be back in action uh, being able to cut. Gotcha. So that's that's what I would essentially use as far as like now I've brought the meat out of the freezer. I'm prepping whatever my dish is going to be. Um, that's going to be that's going to be what I want to do again. I I haven't even gotten out of the better category that I have like some specific knives um, that don't necessarily have the highest quality steel. Yeah. But this is one of those instances where going going a going super high, uh, it, it's not worth it at that point because of where a lot of people are starting right the other thing too is i'm looking at one back here um my brother ended to get me one of these knives uh they're all over the internet and uh it's made out of like i don't know this forged steel and they were real popular there um as far as ads were going like these goofy shaped uh asian knives and i'm holding one right now it uh, it's more of a display piece right now because I can't keep a, a real good edge on it. It doesn't have really a, a favorable shape. So you're gonna see like these Damascus companies. I don't know if they've been getting a hold of you at oh, all, yeah. but it's like oh, yeah. every other week I'm getting another like, hey, you try this out this Damascus Damascus Steel Company or try out these fancy new hand forged. Like you know what, guys? Like I've never heard of you before, and that's probably <laughs> that, there's probably a reason why you've just popped up overnight. So. I would say uh, stick to stick to stuff that um, that you're uh, that you've heard of that you know of that that's going to you know, offer you that quality and try not to get sucked into gimmicks. Right. So I've heard you talk about this before. I want to ask you. Uh, um, well, you are a fan of cast iron skillets, and I know the benefits. You can use it on the stovetop. You can also throw it in directly right into the the oven back and forth why do you like cast iron so much i can't break it dan (laughs) you can't break these things they are built for the test of time um they've got weight to them they're not just uh, they're not a unitasker you can use them in other ways than just uh the skillet that you're using a lot of them i know with um several companies the skillet and the dutch oven work in tandem where you can actually take the skillet flip it over and now that's the lid they nest in well together oh yeah um so they've had a chance to to um play with these i mean shoot this was our our first pans um only when people started really getting away from the kitchen did we see these like hey here's some lighter weight stuff that whole like uh yeah like the 60s boom or like we're where the uh, the housewife was no longer just going to be the housewife. She's going to be going out to work as well. And so dinner is going to be one of these things where it's going to be, ah, shoot, now you have to do all this effort. And now you start to see these introductions of aluminum. You're starting to see uh, Teflon take over. You're starting to see a lot of these other materials trying to lighten everything up to make it easier for the home cook because there's not someone at home cooking all day. Yeah. And a lot of these products, they're, they're nice. I mean, shoot, I was a kid growing up on, on Teflon. And after a while, I was looking at, like, as I learned more about Teflon, you're not supposed to use metal uh, utensils on any of these things. And because that's going to scrape it off and it's going to ruin it. And then you end up getting flecks of Teflon in your food. And then I'm looking at my pan that is a, a nonstick Teflon. I'm like, oh, no, there's a lot of that missing. <laughs> How yeah. much of this have, have I consumed? Have I fed to people? So I, what I like about the cast iron is there's not that element of I can't scrape off the the layer that's going to protect it or at least protect my food or keep it nonstick. Uh, you can make cast iron nonstick by just watching the seasoning and that's the again the thing that you can get any piece of of cast iron you can get off brand you can go high end um a lot of these uh, new high carbons are coming out um you can go with i mean this the tried and true lodge they've been around forever and you can make a lodge 
cast iron pan crappy by not taking care of it as far as adding a seasoning to it. And the seasoning is essentially melting uh, fats and oils into the pores because it is porous. If you don't do that, that's where things are going to start to stick. But if you keep on, if you add a lick of oil every time you're done with that and you know you clean it up um, using water or whatever, it's I guess it's even okay to use soap. I know there's a there's a, a big uh, no no that people say that don't do that, but essentially not don't use the soap because that's going to leach out your seasoning. But if you're constantly adding to your seasoning, you don't need to worry about that. It's all about protecting uh, that layer that's on there. But I end up using uh, kosher salt. So I'll just put a little splash of water in just so it's got some sort of lubrication. And then I'll take a like, half a handful of kosher salt, throw that in, and use uh, cotton rag or whatever. And that does a great job at break, bringing up all the burnt stuff that's on the bottom or anything that's stuck. Just doing that scrub. It's not damaging the seasoning. It's not, uh, you can't hurt the cast iron at that point. Washes out great. And then add that lick of oil in there and it's good to go for the next time. So making sure that you use these seasonings. Um, in fact, there's a couple even companies that are out there that really do a good job. Um, I'm thinking of one. Uh, it's not, I can't think of the name right now, but it's essentially formulated out of, out of uh, um, some different fats, and I think it's got a little bit of beeswax in it as well. Um, but anyway, that's a commercial product you can pick up that you can just like, it's almost like a deodorant stick. You can just put that right into the pan, and it works out, and you can store that off to the side. But other than that, using animal fats, using uh, Crisco, whatever you want, whatever high-saturation fat you want to put it, put into those cast irons, that just keeps them uh, ready to go for the next time. Perfect. Perfect. And so that's your, uh, that's in, in your dream kitchen, you're working with a lot of cast iron. I like the cast iron. Um, I, I want to grab a couple of enamel coated pieces as well, as far as a skillet, um, an enamel Dutch oven, I would say is invaluable. Uh, and that one's basically just a cast iron that's been powder coated in enamel and then baked. And so it's got this real slick layer, uh, it's like a, I mean, it's definitely like one of the pretty pieces or beautiful pieces you want in your kitchen. So make sure you get a color that you like. But having that is just invaluable because of how easy it is to clean up. And so to try out some of these skillets that are a little bit more heavy duty, but have an enamel coating, I think would be super fun. I don't know where to put that as far as a good, better, best. Uh, seeing where they are priced out, we're, we're starting to get into some best category with some of the enamel-coated stuff, and that's where I want to kind of step up my game. Shoot, the pans that I'm using right now, I got, I think it was a wedding present, and those were, that was 10 years ago, 10, yeah. 12 years ago. So it's like, yeah, we're ready for a, a revamp of some kitchen equipment, but at the same time, the old tried and true, the old Teflon is still kicking when I, when I need it to. Awesome. All right, I'm going to step in with one real quick. And yep. this is actually one that has benefited me the most out of everything that I use when I when I cook wild game uh, or even at home when I'm just, you know, cooking domestic meat is a meat thermometer. Uh, that, Amen. That, that thing has now, you know, once I read on, you know, what temperature for a medium backstrap really is what I'm, I'm using – uh, cooking it too. How to how to do that, and all the flavoring uh, kind of comes after that. You can experiment with different flavors and salts and fats and and vegetables and uh, you know sauces and stuff after that. But what has really helped me is knowing that internal temperature, knowing when to take it off of the heat, and knowing how, like how long to rest it. That right there has led me to going from venison is just okay to eat to I can cook a really really good backstrap that will melt in your mouth you know and share that kind of recipe with someone who's may not have ever had wild game before like my wife right she can tell the difference everybody can tell the difference between beef and, and venison but absolutely it tastes way better than this overcooked hamburger style you know everything I, I cooked I overcooked wild game for for years and years and years to the point where I just didn't like it anymore until you know I started doing research on 
you know, making it a, a medium temp, getting it to that. Like what, when, when you cook your wild game, what do you usually cook it to? Or let's say a backstrap, for example. So backstrap, um, if I'm going, I usually go with a reverse sear technique. Um, that's where I go into the oven and then to the hot skillet or to the grill afterwards or the direct heat on the grill. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, with a probe thermometer that, it's information that you normally couldn't have gotten. Uh, well, they still have had probe thermometers, but only recently have they become really user-friendly. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you can use Bluetooth, the fact that you can use yeah. Wi-Fi. Um, I've been working with a company out of out of Missouri. They do a dang good, and it, it looks like a pen. And, in fact, their latest version is now the thinnest on the market. I think it's at three, mil, three or five millimeters. And it's a, pro, it's anyway, a probe thermometer. Probe thermometer, uh, Bluetooth hooks right up to your phone. What's the name of the company? Name of the company's Tapacue. Okay. Um, out of Missouri, it's a mom and pop, uh, little business, little family owned business. Um, if you use the code Hunt Ten on there, you can get a ten percent discount. Not to just throw out something shamelessly, um, but that's that's been invaluable. Yeah. For that reverse sear, because now what I'll do is I'll try to get my uh, backstrap. My wife likes it rare. And I like that. I like that rare and that medium rare setup and getting mine to 110 and then pulling it out and then letting it rest. Um, if I'm doing a bigger one, I'll kind of get it to that uh, that 105 because it is going to take a little bit longer on the sear side. Um, but once I get to that 105, 110, I'm pulling off and resting for 10 minutes, not tenting on anything, not doing it. But that gives me time to get the the other thing or the uh, either the grill really like smoking up or even get the cast iron uh, ready to go. So for that rare to medium rare, you're looking at 110, 115. Yeah. And guys will be like, no, no, that's not the same temp on, on beef. It's this. It's a little higher. Correct. It is going to be a little bit higher. But with uh, with venison, you're going to want to lean towards normally what you like. Um, I would lean, you know, 5 to 10 degrees cooler on venison if you're going to compare it to beef just in the fact that you're giving yourself a little bit of leeway and at the same time it tastes better the more medium rareish that you can get it yeah um something about the meat fi fibers they're they're smaller than beef um they firm up a little bit more in reaction to to that heat so if you like a medium on beef i would like it's almost directly the same texture is once you get a medium rare on venison. It's funny how that, that works out. Yeah. And so thus the benefit of a, a, a meat thermometer. Um, Absolutely. Yes. 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 Okay. So meat thermometer, uh, we've talked about pans. Uh, we've talked about knives. What else you got for us? Um, for a guy getting started out, if he missed out at Christmas uh, when he was a child and he didn't get his Easy Bake Oven, well, this is the time now, guys. You can go get yourself an easy-bake oven known as a pellet grill. Um, takes the guesswork out of trying to get to that proper temperature. Uh, you're going to have a good smoke on whatever you're trying to do. Oh, yeah, buddy. You've got the, the amazing ability to just have so much control over that. Um, that was my slight dig, too, yeah. calling it uh, – uh, an easy bake uh, for the fact it that, is uh, <laughs> dude it is there's no <laughs> lie same time no lie it's and it's good and i throw that out as a joke i'm mainly because i think maybe i'm jealous i don't have one yet myself so i like to poke it at others my buddy's got one and i you know the power went out here in michigan uh for a couple days oh midsummer and so i asked him what he was going to put on the grill each day that the power was out yeah. he's like nothing yeah. unless i hook it up to a generator i can't do <laughs> nothing with it but at the same time, it offers such a, like an easy tool that you can go there. Uh, many of them now have uh, probes even put in yes. to them. Yes. Um, I would, if you've got a, if you've got already got a Bluetooth thermometer and then you've got one of those, I would also recommend that you calibrate. And what I mean calibrate is, is that those are going to be a little bit off from other uh, thermometers so you might have to find something that is reliable to you and test it against that yeah. it might be off by you know 10 15 degrees that's no fault to other than just the circuitry and the way that it's reading but if you can then quote unquote dope your scale to uh try to figure out oh yeah this had to run 10 degrees warmer or it's got to run five degrees cooler um just make sure you know what you're doing with those built-ins um just because they put so much work into the 
the unit itself that that probe probably didn't get the same thinking uh, of of the rest of the product. I'll say this. My dad bought me a pellet grill for my birthday, and it is an amazing piece of equipment. I cooked, uh, I took, I took two back straps, threw them on there just as an experiment, put the internal probe that came with it in there. And I think I wanted to get it to like 120 ish. Yeah. And it tasted like candy. I mean, it was, and that was just with like, I think I, all I did was put some, some Lari seasoning salt on it, some garlic powder and uh and a little bit of uh, olive oil on the and a little bit of Worcestershire on it and I'm yeah. telling you right now those two back straps I, I I ate one instantly and then I saved the the next one for the next day for my lunch and it was these the ability to throw the smoke on it control like you can you can cook it for 10 hours you can cook it for four hours whatever you want. I've done pork butts on it. I've done ribs on it. I've done all these things. And so these grills are like the, the, the grill masters crock pot because you you're, it allows you to just leave it alone. And the automatic feed is what, you know, keeps the smoke coming in and keeps the, the heat coming in. And so dude, I, I absolutely love my pellet grill. The consistency with the pellets too it's yeah. a uniform piece that goes in it everything just it's handed to you out of the box hey you can't screw it up unless you are trying yeah. to screw it up so as far as a safeguard this is the i mean this is the amazing entry point for you to be able to get in and be able to just start start messing around start playing with things different pellets i'll yeah. offer them you know different smokes um you know, you can go with a cherry, you can go with a pecan, they, and you just get it in a bag, and you can store the bag inside because it's such a uniform piece. Um, and, the yeah, they've done a great job at constructing those. Yes. Um, once you start getting into, like, where I jump over into the charcoal, uh, I love my charcoal uh, grill, but at the same time, it takes me to play with it now. I'm going to have, if I depending on the briquette that I get or the lump charcoal, I'm going to get a different response of the heat. And if I'm not... If I'm not playing with it, if I'm not babysitting it, if I'm not involved with the process, things can go south super quickly. Unlike, shoot, you're getting the, the ability now with some of these uh, pellet grills where you can start something on a long smoke, put it on Wi-Fi. Oh, I forgot the uh, the beer that I'm going to need to drink with this. I can go to the store, leave that thing running, and watch that temperature either hold or climb or see what it's doing. So that's just super cool as far as somebody trying to get into it. That's a great piece to start with. And then you can get to the nuance. You can get to that uh, more playing side of it with either the the big green egg or like the PK that I got. I love my little PK grill. Um, I can smoke on it. I can grill on it. But I got to babysit it. I got to hang out with it. And that's that's my way to get out in the house. I'm like, babe, sorry, I can't come in and watch the kids. I got to be out here on the porch because if I walk away too far, something's going to go bad. And I'm, I need to sit right here. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, we got about time for one more piece of equipment that you would recommend for a someone, I don't know, uh, to better their their wild game cooking experience. Uh, well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like a, a an enamel Dutch oven is invaluable. You can braise in it. You can stew in it. You can do anything you want with it. But also with that Dutch oven, there that enamel Dutch oven, it's a great heat sink. And so if you are going to jump again, if we're playing with technology, we're playing with gear, we're bringing in all this stuff, the new one-trick pony, if you let it be, you know, this. if you can think creatively with it, it won't be the one-trick pony. But getting one of the sous vide wands, they are coming mm -hmm. down in price. Um, I got one last year as a Christmas gift, and that little thing can just pump out heat into whatever vessel uh, I'm trying to use. But that, like an enamel Dutch oven, you just use the bottom of it. You can get the plastic tubs for them. Yeah, they're easy to clean, but at the same time, it just doesn't hold that that heat in there. Yeah. Um, is that something that I, you plug into a wall? It is, yes, it okay. is electric. Okay. You plug it into the wall. Um, there's not one, I don't think, that has an onboard battery yet. Um, there are some that now they, again, they've jumped right into the Bluetooth technology. 
when it comes to something like that, I was like, shoot, give me buttons. Let me be able to, to set the settings on here. I don't need my phone always attached to it. Right. Because, shoot, some of the cooks you're going to do on that are going to be 36 to 48 hours. And you want to be able to just set it. I don't need to check on it right now because I know it's going to be this temperature. If I wanted to take one of those Bluetooth um, probes that use that work a little bit nicer um, than the uh, the or the uh, the sous vide Bluetooth attachment, like you could do that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, be able to press the buttons on there, get the heat going. Um, I've done both domestic and wild on this. I did a 36 hour. Uh, turkey thigh and i think this would be awesome for any leg quarter um even the drumstick to use a sous vide option for this guys have been doing steak out of this forever you know they want to put in their their ribeyes they want to put in their back strap but i feel like the that's it's getting wasted on there you can do a reverse sear on it you can learn not to use the sous vide when it comes to that but to do something on these super long super tough cuts um but so with the the turkey like shoot your wings your uh your neck your uh your leg quarters throw that in with some garlic some olive oil uh some butter in there as well some rosemary and let that go because i did uh these thighs for 36 hours and pulled them out they're gonna look gray because they haven't had any direct heat set the broiler to high popped them in for shoot five minutes open them up and they just had this golden crust that was crispy because all the fat had already been rendered out of them at that point and i just i just removed that bone sliced that thin half of it was gone before i actually got it to the table it was did it turn out tender pretty good. tender then oh it just falls apart at that yes. point you could take a drumstick and for that 36 hours have that in there pull it out and then shred it you don't need to worry about the tendons. You don't need to worry about how tough it's going to be because at that point it's going to just, it's rendered out all the connective tissue and you can just shred it. Add a little barbecue sauce if you wanted to. And then, man, that's a slider for the ages right there, especially on those older, tougher wild birds. Yeah, I like sliders, man. I like, I'm a slider guy. I like sliders. So, <laughs> hey, Nick, man, uh, first off, Merry Christmas. Thanks uh, so much for hopping on the podcast today and uh, talking about your expertise there there, and, and giving everybody some ideas. I know we're only a couple days from Christmas, but if you have any Christmas shopping left to do, think about, you know, some wild game cooking stuff, you know, some implement, some gear, some equipment for for your loved ones. And uh, yeah, so Merry Christmas, man. And thanks for hopping on today. Thanks. I love where we're at. We're bringing it full circle. We're going from the field, coming right into the kitchen. Yeah, it just completes the whole process. So yeah, Merry Christmas to you and yours. And uh, listeners, same to you. And keep your knives sharp.